I'd first like to ask uh, who studied Sutas 15 and 16. All right. Any questions? All right. Good. I also asked you to um, do an investigation of states, looking at the state of mind to see what um, defilements or impediments you found, fetters you found, so that we could work on uh, prescribing antidotes to those uh, impediments or defilements. So did you do that? Were you able to do that? Yeah? Okay, good. So we're not going to ask you what you found. That's your stuff that you're getting rid of. But uh, as a prescription, this was instructions that uh, the Buddha gave to his son Rahula. And he said, develop meditation on loving kindness. For when you develop meditation on loving kindness, any ill will will be abandoned. Develop meditation on compassion. For when you develop meditation on compassion, any cruelty will be abandoned. Develop meditation on altruistic joy, for when you develop meditation on altruistic joy, any discontent will be abandoned. Develop meditation on equanimity, for when you develop meditation on equanimity, any aversion will be abandoned. Develop meditation on foulness, for when you develop meditation on foulness, any lust will be abandoned. Develop meditation on perception of impermanence, for when you develop meditation on perception of impermanence, the conceit I am will be abandoned. So I hope you've got a hook for what you found and what the prescription is. So work on those things so that your mind will be inclined back to your originality. Um, My simple message today It's a very complicated one, a very complex one. It, it, it touches such philosophical absurdity about no one has to do anything because you're already perfected, you're already sacred, you're already divine. And that truth, that message, that absurdity is often misunderstood because then people just sit back and say, well, okay, I won't do any work. And of course, then you just are who you are. So it's more like understanding the story of the prodigal son. In that story, the vision that I get is that we are all capable of returning to our source. And that if I'm going back home, that means I don't have to build a home, so I don't have to become enlightened. 
I don't have to become anything because I already am everything. Right? So I don't have to establish or build or access or generate or design. I just have to remove the rubbish that hides the entrance so that I can get back to my source. Right? There's a, another story that I think is also appropriate. And that's about the blind man touching the elephant. And I use that a lot in my analogy. But in my opinion, the reality is that there are no blind men touching the elephant. There's just the elephant touching the elephant. And there's really no elephant. Think about it. (laughs) And we'll discuss it whenever you're ready. (laughs) What this, I think, this thinking, this direction, this searching helps us to accomplish. As Panyawadi said, we hosted a a group of Baha'i. And um, Panyawadi and I were were very unknowledgeable about what the Baha'i faith was all about. What did it talk about? What did it encourage people to do? And so she pulled up something that uh, came from the conference of Am I saying this right? The conference will be high? They have a justice uh, council. Okay, a justice council. The Universal House of Justice, I believe. Okay, thank you. Universal House of Justice? Okay, great. The key word there is universal. It says, the enduring legacy of the 21st century is that it compelled the people of the world to begin seeing themselves as the members of a single human race and the earth as that race's common homeland. Despite the continuing conflict and violence that darkens the horizon, prejudices that once seemed inherent in the nature of the human species are everywhere giving away. Down with them come barriers that long divide the family of man into a babble of incoherent identities, cultural, ethnic, and natural origin. That so fundamental a change could occur in so brief a period, virtually overnight in the perspective of historical time, suggests the magnitude of the possibilities for the future. (coughs) Tragically, organized religion, whose very reason for being in entails service to the cause of brotherhood and peace, behaves all too frequently as one of the most formidable obstacles in the path. To cite a particular painful point or factor, it has long lent its credibility to fanaticism. We feel the responsibility as the governing council of one of the world's religions to urge earnest consideration of the challenge this poses for the religious leadership both the issue and the circumstances to which 
if it gives rise, requires that we speak frankly. We call, to, we call for an end to religious fanaticism and division, for the wholesale discarding of, any, of old patterns of racism, prejudice, and bigotry, for equality of women and men, and for the renunciation of all those claims to exclusive, exclusive, exclusivity and finality that, in winding their roots around the life of the Spirit, have been the greatest single factor for suffocating impulses to unity and in promoting hatred and violence. So in other words, if we go back to the elephant and the blind man, if we see them as a Buddhist blind man and a Muslim blind man and a Christian blind man and a Baha'i blind man, okay, what I want you to begin to construct in your mental continuum is an idea of being the source of everything. And that whenever we become something special, we become a splinter, a fragment of that source. We become a, a drop of the ocean. And we no longer see ourselves as the ocean because we think ourselves contained in the drop. That if we, be, if we identify as man, woman, black, white, purple, green, American, Muslim, Christian, Jew, that we splinter, we divide, we shatter, we, we disconnect from the source, which is not all of those things, but higher than all of those things. And as long as we identify as something specific, we will entertain the fact that my specificity is better than yours, that you should join my club, because that's what it is when I become specific. I form a club. My guys, my gang. And mine is better than everyone else's. Or I wouldn't be part of it. So let's resist the impulse to form, to be, to identify something specific and to realize that we are not enlightened, but we are the source of enlightenment. We're not God, but we are the fountain from which God springs. And as long as we maintain the unity with everything and every purpose, we will no longer have this craziness that we have out here today. So thank you for listening, and I'm open to comments. There's no me, there's no you, there's no elephant, there's the perception of self, there's the perception of you, there's the perception of, elephant, of the elephant, but in reality, it's all just your perception of it. There's no Catholicism, there's no Buddhism, there's no Judaism, there's your perception of what it is, and really, at the end, it's just a sense of oneness, and we're all the ocean and the drop within it, is that correct?
Or is that where you were taking Amen. that? Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, uh, we confuse ourselves. Uh, when we look back and we, and we, all said, and we heard it said that, you know, Christ wasn't a Christian and Buddha wasn't a Buddhist. Well, do you think that God was God? I don't think so. So we have unawakened, unenlightened people who hear a message and then concretize it and say, this is special, when they don't realize that it's only a fragment of the whole truth. That those of us who are open enough, uh, strong enough, wise enough, inquisitive enough to investigate all of the wisdom paths, see that the all of them contain the same sources of truth, just expressed differently. And usually that is crafted through the culture of the person interpreting it, the experiences of the person interpreting it. It has, it, but we can all see the flavor of the same truth that we embrace, whatever we call it, in everything that everyone else is doing. So we've got to get over this craziness that says, well, my truth is better than your truth. Because this is the divisiveness that occurs. This is the excuse of me overrunning you, of colonizing you, of proselytizing you, because my stuff is better and more genuine, more authentic. And it's just our stuff. And as Dina says, there is no us and there is no me and there is no you. There just isness. And it's all the same truth. And if we can just start embracing each other in that fashion, all of this other foolishness, this fighting, this, will begin to dissipate, drop away. So consider it, think about it, and uh, embrace it if you want to. So essentially, we're living all of us are a collective conscience living a semi-lucid dream because nothing around us apparently is real, correct? Everything That's correct. is created in our minds. So, and yet we're still unaware that this is the truth, no matter. We're even still if blind, we're, yeah. So it's kind of like a semi-lucid dream where you're somewhat aware of what's going on and you're able to control what you're doing, but you still don't see the big picture. Some are. Hmm. Unfortunately, not enough are even, even aware that they're dreaming. Some are thinking that their dream is real. So thank you. All right. Yes. I would like to share 
that uh, my wife and I just got back from northern Arizona, including the Grand Canyon. And one evening, I was able to sit on a point overlooking the canyon as the sun set, and I was able, able, by virtue of the training that I have received here and elsewhere, I was able to meditate with my eyes open watching that, and my selfness was dissolved into the oneness. There was no one watching the sun setting, was it? Yeah, that's cool, man. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. I'm having a, some trouble lately that um, the more I am uh, one with nature and comfortable with, uh, for the first time, really feeling the flower, the bird, and it's like in that uh, sphere, I don't have any conflict and very peaceful. And yet that created actually more uh, frustration in the human uh, world and human world. So somehow when I look at this, I'm sorry, uh, you know, all these what's going on in the world or whatever, I can't really be with it the way I'm walking in the wild. So theoretically, in my mind, I understand that this is a wave and this. It's just the theoretical things are there. But physically, I am feeling a two different things when I'm walking around the nature that my body and everything is just so relaxed and all that. As soon as I'm in this world, uh, my body doesn't feel it. So. I mean, obviously, it is about the practice, but I feel like I'm in the, you know, these rapid white water, um, you know, going through in this world, and then there's another. So I'm very splitted in this two a world. Okay, well, just remember that you are the one that's causing the schism, and you are the one oh, that's causing the unity. Yes. And when you stop it, <laughs> you will I, no longer have any trouble. But my mind is stopping, no, no, not, my, not but, the body not is. But, <laughs> not but. Just stop creating the schism. Whenever, I feel, whenever I'm separated, I mm -hmm. will feel that disharmony. I'll feel that incoherence between mm -hmm. me and the other. Yeah. And that is just a revelation or a sign for me to remember that I'm stepping in dog poo. Not that dog poo is bad, <laughs> but I'm just stepping in it. And for me to take my shoe off of it and to get back into some kind of unity with all that's around me and stop evaluating that the bird is better than this person that's walking down the street, <laughs> right? That the tree is more benevolent Mm -hmm. than this old woman that I see shuffling down the street with a bag. That they're all the same. 
Uh, They're just different expressions of the same source. But in theory, so if you only saw trees and there were no birds and there were no people and there was no earth, you would soon get bored. This is why we have such variations. So we have like a meadow, so that we never get bored, that we're always excited, always glad to see something different, something new. But it's all the same thing. It just appears to be different. But if you can start to see that it's all the same in its difference, then you will have no schism. So, but how do you go from the understanding and the mind and the heart and then the uh, peace in the body? Uh, that's the, like, I do tell these things and I do understand it, reading it and all that, but then my muscles and everything is not doing the different things. That's because you're not practicing it. <laughs> you're thinking about it. You're reading it. You're mm-hmm. talking about it, yeah. but you're not living it. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're talking about here. We're talking about, let's stop talking about yeah. our Christianity or our Judaism or our Islam mm-hmm. or our Buddhism, and let's start living it. And when we start living it, we will find that it's all the same stuff. So if I feel discordant, it's because I'm not living it. So I think her, her question was uh, like how do you how do you do it and um, you know the only way that we can get better at something is that we have to keep practicing so when a version arises around something you know first we don't realize that we don't call it like a version is arising it's like they're bothering me or they're doing something you know um, we we say it's something that they're doing you know but um, with the help of, of, you know, the teachings, we can have a clearer seeing and we can recognize that there's an aversion. I don't like it is arising in me. And maybe that's all we can do in the beginning is to recognize that aversion is arising in me. But the more we turn our attention in that moment when it's arising, you know, your, your mind can't be on two things at one time. So when my attention turns to aversion is arising in me, anger is arising in me, it just got off of whatever they were doing, and now I'm looking at this. And so the more we're able to shift and look right then, the more that there's a release from the indictment from the other person, now I'm working with this that's arising in me. Why is aversion arising? Because I don't like it. You know, so I want something different. You know, but this is what it is. And so being patient but with ourselves, but really recognizing and really uh, facing, you know, dealing with whatever's going on inside is what we do continually, continually, continually. I mean, like it takes up so much time. It takes up all of our time. We don't really have time to, to really, you know, focus on, on others. But then after a while, you reach a tipping point. And what was an irritation is no longer an irritation. When I first brought my daughter home from the hospital, I was glad, you know, but after a few nights of of crying all you know, not, nothing's wrong, you're not wet, you're not hungry. It's 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 a sleeping time. You know? <laughs> and um and so, you know, I was starting to not feel so good about this whole motherhood thing, you know. <laughs> 
Um, but then I realized that the baby is just doing what they're doing. You know, I started thinking about how she was nurtured and enveloped for, you know, almost a year in my room. When she came out, she came out right under bright lights like that. You know, people picking in her nose and cutting on her, you know, and things like that. And, and how, what a shock into this world. Maybe they cry for three months just getting over that initial shock of coming out into this world. You know, so some sympathy and compassion arose for her discomfort, even though I didn't know how, exa- what was wrong with her. You know, I'm just starting to try to comfort. But it took seeing her from her own side and understanding that there is some discomfort there. You know, so it's in these ways, changing the way, giving people more of a pass, understanding that there must be something really troubling them that makes them say what they say or do what they do or, you know, uh, or or recognizing that, you know, they don't even know you, so it can't have anything to do with you. It's what's all in their mind. Or, you know, and in this way, we gradually drop the aversion, and we might go to the next phase. Well, they're just being them, you know? <laughs> you know, and that might mean not be that compassionate, but at least now you're not judging, you know, them, and you're not feeling so much personal pain over the interaction. That's just them being them. Well, you know, but then after a while you start to feel more compassionate towards them and see if maybe I can say something or maybe they misunderstand me and I don't have to say you misunderstood me. I can just recognize they misunderstood me, you know, and no need to say anything. And and, and gradually like that we grow. Yeah. And with cultures, I think that's a good thing. I think it's you learn from different people. Um, you know, if you just take the way, my way is the best way, it's the only way, and you just look at a culture, and you look like maybe they're not using a fork, they're using chopsticks, or just something different, or, you know, they eat different, or they, they look different, if you can embrace it instead of, like, saying, you know, this is better, my way is better, I look better, and you can get over that, but I think it's a good thing. I agree with you. From my personal standpoint, I I start to fall off the bandwagon when I, we get into what I would call immense cruelty and suffering or atrocities. Mm-hmm. It's one thing if somebody's irritating me at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're talking too loud. But when I look at genocide, when I look at people killing animals, you know, et cetera. Mm. That's where I, I cannot wrap my head around that. And I often think back to the, um, the I think it's a Shanti Deva quote where they say, if you, if you believe in suffering, you're lacking wisdom. If you don't believe in suffering, you're lacking compassion. Mm-hmm. So I just, I can only go so far with these, where everybody's saying I'm, I'm on board, but then, you know, true atrocity in the world, true outright cruelty. Mm-hmm. Can you address that? I don't know. If That's what we're a, doing. Well, <laughs> I we're guess, saying it exists yeah. because there is a perception of privilege. That when we work on ourselves and see that we're no different from everything else in the whole reality spectrum, then we stop feeling that we have the right to use, abuse, other things that look different from us. 
So if I see someone kill a puppy next to, next to me, mm -hmm. what is my appropriate reaction? Why do we have engaged Buddhism anyway, if mm -hmm. none of it's real? The situations, the conditions that we review, atrocities, genocide, racism, sexism, all due to conditions. I can continue to attack the obvious, and it's like playing, what's that guacamole thing? Guacamole? Guacamole? You know, it just pops up someplace else. Okay? It's about trying to find a cure. Violence against violence is not the answer, right? right. Okay. So it is about us suggesting and suggesting that we start seeking out the condition that causes it in the first place and encouraging others to walk the same truth that we're walking. That's what I'm expressing today. We've always been fighting injustice, someone, somewhere. But it's like the whole house is on fire now. You know, we, we, we have more fire than we have firemen or firewomen, right? And so it's, it's no longer a question of putting out the fires. It's a question of whether the fires start in the first place. So this goes back to helping people work with their own anger helping people work with their own conceit, helping people to see it so that they can eradicate it within themselves, which then does not infect their choices and the people around them. Right? So we're, we're working on that, but we're working on it from this point, not this point, not the immediate expression of our discontent, but like, well, why is this happening in the first place? You know, I, I was um, watching a documentary about the genocide in Burma, okay? And I was listening to some Bangladesh workers who were lamenting about the Rohingya people coming over and taking their jobs. And they couldn't get any work anymore because the Rohingya people were willing to work for two less dollars or three less dollars than they were. And their solution was to send them back to Burma to be killed. I mean, that's where they're setting women on fire after they rape them, right? So... The answer is not sending them back, but the answer is finding a solution that shares the wealth that's present in the poorest country in the world, Bangladesh, that somehow finds it in my heart to say, 
I'd rather share my $2 with you than to send you back where your wife and children are raped and killed and set on fire. But we're talking about something very radical now. See? Because we're talking about dispelling the mind, eradicating the mind that says it's okay to build a wall and send people back to violence rather than to share the dollar bill that I have in my hand. Okay? We can build all of the walls. We can put out all of the fires. We can start all of the wars to end wars. But that has never worked. So now we're saying, let's do something radical. Let's change ourselves. And let's walk the earth and point to the truth and say, just walk your truth. And then your truth will be just like my truth. And there'll be no difference. So you'll see no difference. So you'll act no different. And now we'll have harmony. It's a little longer to find a cure and to see the effects of the cure. But these band-aids that we're putting on all of these problems in the world and reality are just doing nothing but oozing out. Right? Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. Can I just add that? Yes, you can. You know, we talk about these big problems that exist around the world and how we feel so bad about it and want to do something about it. But, you know, to do something about some of these issues requires something from us. We have to ask the question, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to give up something ourselves besides our talk and our feelings about it? You know, what are we actually willing to sacrifice ourselves? What are we willing to share ourselves? What are we willing to lay down ourselves? What are we willing to give up ourselves personally? And that's where everybody gets stuck, and then they go away sorrowfully because their possessions are very great or their whatever, you know. So uh, it is really not about our feelings about these things. It is about um, letting the life that we live speak for us. Right. You know, and I know how a person really feels by what they're willing to give up in terms of their personal comfort, by what they're willing to share, by what, you know, that's how we, that's where we know or how we know where we are in all of this beyond our, our talk of sorrow for other people's conditions. So when I look at, at, um, it's politically correct right now, you know, to be ally for this group, an ally for that group. And so I see a, a, a 70 year, old ally. And I'm like, well, where you been the other 69 years? You know, I mean, what, what you see now didn't just start happening. It's been happening all along, you know? So there is something about the whole ally movement that I find disingenuous. Um, disingenuous, is that a word? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That I find disingenuous, um, uh, it's almost like wanting to be able to control the conversation. And, um, but the different people, the poor people, the 
people of color, the, you know, people who are affected by all of these things, who've lived with this their whole life. You know, like platitudes, like we really don't want platitudes. Uh, we don't even want tears. We crowd our own, a river of them. You know, but there has to be a, a an actual shift, and we know when there's an actual, we know when there's an actual shift in a person's idea or perception or or understanding of things, and that's where we are now. We have to get really, really clear on who we are in the world, and what we're willing to give for a universal harmony and peace. And this leveling of the playing field is not going to be an easy thing for people. It's not an easy thing. Uh, so some of us will go away sorrowfully because we just can't do it. But some will do it, and there will be that much change, change according to the ones that are willing to do it. Bury my heart at wounded knee. It's been going on forever. And as Panyawati said, when we begin to realize that it's got to stop, and then I've got to be the one that stops. I can't worry about other people doing it or not doing it. But I've got to make sure that I stop it. And once we are all able to grasp and engage in that personal work, we will be able to die with no regrets. We're never going to change Samsara. This is just a school where we choose whether we're going to be on this side or that side, or on no side. So, hopefully, what we've said today will make you go home and think. That's all. I want you to think about it. Because we're tired of meeting, we're tired of talking. It's time to realize who we truly are and walk in that truth. So, may all beings be liberated from suffering. May we be well, may we be happy, may we be peaceful. Thank you so much for being who you are and being part of the team, and uh, enjoy the day, smile at a stranger, and I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.